Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's edition of the About to Review podcast, here to amplify diverse voices in media. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to follow the podcast on social media at About to Review, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as YouTube.com slash About to Review. If you go to AboutToReview.com, there are full links to the show notes and guests, as well as a support tab. So if you want to support the show and pitch in a dollar via PayPal, you can do that. There's also an Amazon wish list on that page as well if you want to get something to help out the studio. On this week's episode, it is a solo show, and I will be reviewing two new movies as well as going over some geek news items. The two movies I will be reviewing are going to be Miss Bala, starring Gina Rodriguez, and then the Lego Movie 2, the second part. Yes, that is the full title. It is a weird one. Every time I wrote it on my notes, I was like, do I need to say the whole thing? Technically, yes, because that is the full title of the movie. So the Lego movie to the second part. So that will be on this week's episode. But before we get into any of that fun stuff, we have to get into the original theme song created by Damien Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. The other thing I will do before we get into the geek news items is thank you again to everybody who listened to last week's episodes. There were two episodes that dropped last week. It was my About to Review episode where I talked all about the Vancouver Short Film Festival and my favorite shorts from each program and then my favorite, my best of the festival, which was OI. Uh, It was a great festival. And then the other episode that dropped was the About to Interview episode, I interviewed a whole bunch of the filmmakers from that weekend, uh, which was great. I got some really good feedback from that episode, both from filmmakers up in Vancouver, as well as some other listeners who are kind of first-time listeners who reached out to me, said they really appreciated my coverage of Vancouver, and that I keep coming up there to cover these festivals. So it is, it is my pleasure. I love going up there. So yeah, thank you to everybody who reached out. That was really cool. Uh, If you want to get a hold of the show, you can do that on Gmail. It is just abouttoreview at gmail.com or on any of the social medias. The the DMs are open for that reason and that reason only, which is to reach out to me and talk about the episodes. Uh, So definitely do that. But yeah, thanks again. That was really cool to read those. So, all right, on to this week's episode. There are a few geek news items that I will go over. The first one being... Uh, Nicholas Holt, who has been in some really solid movies and then also made some really interesting choices for movies. Um, I like him. I think that he is a good young actor. I just think that sometimes the movies themselves, like the projects that he has done, are not that great. Uh, But yeah, like Mad Max, solid. Definitely uh, good on that front. Uh, The favorite from last year. And yeah, so The Current War is a movie that he was in from like 2017 that 
I was hyped to see in 2018. It was actually my one of my most anticipated movies of 2018, and it has yet to be released about Nikola Tesla and Edison. Uh, it, it is really frustrating that that movie still has not been released, but it got caught up in all of the Weinstein uh, issues that were going on at the beginning of last year. So hopefully we get to see that. But he is in a new movie that will be coming out, unlike the current war, uh, where he is playing one of my favorite authors authors of all time, J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, he is in a, this biopic called Tolkien that is set to come out. I think it is set to come out like in, is it March or May? I know it, I know it is going to be soon. So they just released their first picture of the film or a couple pictures of the production. Super excited about this. Uh, and yes, the release date looks like it's going to be May 10th. So it just it is kind of crazy to think that with such an amazing author who has done incredible works, that there has not really been a biopic about him. That just that is super shocking to me. So I will be really interested to see what aspects of his life they choose to focus on in this film. One of the main pictures they released is of Nicholas Holt in his office as Tolkien. And behind him, there are several just hand drawings of characters that we would then, of course, later know from the Lord of the Rings books. That just, I love those little details and I love biopics. So I am all on board for this Tolkien biopic that is set to come out on May 10th. Like I said at the beginning of the show, the links to these articles are going to be in the show notes. So when you're scrolling through listening to this on your podcast catcher of choice, uh, definitely click on those. I also forgot to say uh, subscribe and rate and review the podcast on your podcast catcher of choice. Uh, Apple, iTunes, everything. Google Play, Stitcher, it is on there. Uh, So yeah, Nicholas Holt playing Tolkien. The next bit Uh, The Walking Dead is apparently a show that some people still watch. Why? Not sure. Uh, I seriously dropped out of Walking Dead, oof, I want to say three years ago, maybe more. It just, I mean, I'd read the comics, and so I was already kind of ahead of the show for, for quite a bit of it, which was fine. I'm fine being ahead and then watching kind of the way that the choices they make in the movie or the TV show, as it were, I mean, that was the same with, like, with Naruto, with Dragon Ball Z, uh, Attack on Titan. You know, when I read the manga of those and then eventually end up seeing the animation for because it takes forever, it is okay because it is still interesting. The Walking Dead, man, it lost me years ago. (laughs) But apparently some people still watch it. And last year they made this huge hullabaloo that Andrew Lincoln, a.k.a. Rick Grimes, was not going to be on it anymore and that say goodbye and this is the farewell season and all of that. And then at New York Comic-Con last year, which is like right before the penultimate episode where he presumably was going to die because they were like, oh, this is his last season. And people are like, oh no, I wonder how he is going to die. I wonder how they're going to write that, blah, blah, blah. A slight spoiler alert for those people who are not caught up on the show. Uh, yeah, no, he does not die. He lives so much living that he is going to be getting currently, this is an article, three 
movies about Rick Grimes. Now, even if they want to do a prequel, this is still dumb. Like, I think, I think doing the prequel would be dumb. These ones that take place after or concurrently with the TV show, that does not really make sense either. I'm not sure. And these apparently are supposed to be stretched out over the course of a few years. But I just, you cannot really hype up for a full season, for a full year, that your main character is leaving and get ready and you you pump all of that out there and you get people really excited to watch the show. And then before the actual resolution of that in the show, you kind of pull the rug out from under them. You're like, oh, just kidding. He actually is not going to die. Do not worry. We're going to be doing some other stuff with him. And then now they announce they want to do three Rick Grimes movies. Nobody wants that. Like that, that just seems super bizarre. Uh, in a press release that AMC put out, they said that the the films would go into previously unexplored parts of the apocalypse. Uh, the first film will explore the story of where Rick is taken and what he faces in a new corner of the zombie apocalypse. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that there are zombies there. And that is the new thing that he has to encounter and f- figure out. We get it. Like, that, there are zombies. I just, I love the zombie genre. I have been a fan of it for years. Something about The Walking Dead, though, I just stopped I stopped caring about. I stopped caring about this world and these characters and what they were doing. So with this, I just, I could not be less interested in that, which kind of sucks because I like zombies. Uh, and that actually ties into another zombie franchise or what they wanted to become a franchise. Uh, world War Z2. Uh, David Fincher had been talking about doing it, and he just announced recently that it is off the table. Like, Paramount has just scrapped it. Uh, They were worried about budget concerns, and or they were worried about the budget, not budget concerns, and it just, it is not going to happen. Now, World War Z, the movie that came out a few years ago with Brad Pitt, based on the book, it was not perfect. It was not really... I mean, it shared a lot of the similarities to the book, but it took some liberties also, just like all of these do, the biggest version of which being I Am Legend, which do not even get me started on how many issues that has and why it bothered me so much. But World War Z 2, that was at least a world that I would be interested in seeing where it had gone or where it would be going. And the characters were interesting enough, and so... This kind of sucks that we are not going to see a World War Z 2, at least for right now, uh, from Fincher and most likely Brad Pitt would have been involved again because they are buddies. But yeah, so that is not really happening. What was interesting is in the same tweet, David Fincher put up a picture of Mad Max Fury Road kind of being like, well, we're not getting a World War Z 2, but maybe something like this possibly hinting at a Mad Max Fury Road sequel. Again, that is another world, another fictitious world that I would love to be back in. I mean, and who knows what happened after the, after the end of Mad Max Fury Road when I'm not going to spoil that one, even though it came out years ago, but whatever, you can look it up on Wikipedia. After the resolution in Mad Max Fury Road, 
I want to see what happens. Like there was enough, there was still enough there in that world that makes you interested in it. I think that is what some of these sequels and trilogies and more, they get into this habit of pumping out sequels and more material. But unless we are invested in the characters or the world in which they are creating, I just, I, they're not really going to do that well. They're probably going to keep making them. But I just, I really feel like you need to have that buy-in. You need to have that investment in your audience and have them believe in that world enough to want to go back into it for a second, third, or fourth time. So it kind of sucks that World War Z is not going to get that, but who knows? You know, this kind of alluding, alluding, illusion? Illusion to another Mad Max movie definitely has me interested. Uh, speaking of uh, another franchise... A lot of franchises, it seems like everything is a franchise these days, both in TVs, TV and movies, so who knows. Uh, but the franchise that, for whatever reason, keeps pumping out material or trying to pump out material and kind of succeeding, kind of failing, uh, the X-Men movie that some people have been excited about, myself included, at least for the first six months when it was announced, of Gambit. Yes, that Gambit. The Creole, card-slinging, womanizing gambit that has been in talks for years. Nothing has been filmed. Like, no pre-production stills were released. Nothing. And yet Channing Tatum had been championing this movie for years. He came out on the floor, or not on the floor, on the stage at San Diego Comic-Con years ago and did a little, like, I guarantee type of thing, took a selfie, and the crowd freaked out, and then nothing happened. Six months later, nothing. A year later, nothing. Two years later, nothing. It feels, so it, so it sounds like, uh, this is from the playlist, uh, they, they reported that Channing Tatum wanted to co-direct the X-Men spinoff, Gambit, but it now seems like this is just dead. Like, this is just off the table, completely they wanted to what did they how do they say it they wanted the x-men films to evolve and go in a different direction aka 20th century fox still does not know what is going to happen with this disney marvel merger and so they're just kind of hedging their bets being like listen you guys inevitably are going to get the rights to these so we're just going to wait a little bit and see what happens. Does this mean we will never see a Gambit movie? No. Hashtag yes. Uh, we, we're never going to see a solo Gambit movie. As much as the 90s kid in me who grew up watching him on the X-Men cartoon series would love that. I have his first appearance in the comics when Storm had been transformed into a little kid. It was a whole mess. I love the character. The character is really interesting. I just, I do not think we'll get a solo movie, especially right now in the wake of all of these Dark Phoenix, this movie that is coming out that people are already kind of panning. New Mutants, which might be going directly to Hulu. Nobody is really, no, it feels like nobody is super confident in being like, this is the next X-Men thing that is going to take, not necessarily take the place, but really fit into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it really will bridge these gaps, and the two of us will handhold and be great 
none of it feels like that. It still feels so disjointed. So I want those movies to be successful. I just I think that Fox is just in a really weird place right now. So yikes. Uh, but as of right now, officially, as it stands right now, Gambit is is off the table. So I, yeah, I mean, I, I I never really thought that movie was going to happen, so I'm not too sad. But that would have been kind of interesting. Another movie that is, uh, well, the movie is going forward. The actor is not. Ben Affleck put up kind of a somewhat cryptic tweet uh, having to do with Matt Reeves' new Batman movie that was announced to be releasing in 2021. And Ben Affleck was like, I can't wait to see what you do with it. Which would be interesting if he had said, man, God, you just wait until you see what we're doing. Or, I'm so excited for this thing that we are involved in. No. It was just like, hey, my buddy Matt Reeves is doing this thing. I'm excited for it. Leave me out of it. So, it seems like Ben Affleck at this point is officially out as Batman. Now, people can have problems with the movies that he was in. People love them. People do not love them. As Batman, though, he was an interesting choice. As far as the physicality he had, you know, he was he got really big for, for some of those movies. Looked really great in the suit. It was really just kind of bulky, like, like that Frank Miller tank version of Batman. And yet he would move almost like the Arkham City style Batman. So it was an interesting melding of styles. And I think Ben Affleck's Batman did a decent job with that. This was another case where I just think that he, for a long time, he wanted to be involved in these movies. People who might not know, but Ben Affleck was a massive, still is a massive comic book lover and collector. But I just think by the time it actually got to him and the things that he was working with, towards the end especially, I, he felt a little bit checked out. He felt like he was just there to be there as opposed to... When you watch all of like the Marvel Cinematic Universe press junkets and the panels and the interviews, everybody is legitimately excited to be a part of that world and of that universe, whether it is just people who are barely in it very much, but they're excited. It felt like this whole time with Ben Affleck, there was this like inner turmoil of like, okay, well, I signed on to do these movies, but I'm not super excited to be here it was weird it was interesting but it sounds like unfortunately that he is is out but we are moving forward with a batman movie that is coming out in 2021 i think that with this new birds of prey movie with harley quinn and huntress like i think that they're just going to go in a totally different direction especially with aquaman and try and get more of that like that funny quippy humor as opposed to what has been happening in the DC Universe, which is dark and gritty and whatever. So, I'm on board with this. Give me more Batman movies. I will watch them all. My pick for Batman, I have a couple of them. But the person that I have wanted to be Batman for a long time in the movies, and in a TV show, and whatever, Louis Tan. Come on! The guy looks great. He is a legitimate martial artist. Like, you put him in a Batsuit, he can still do a lot of what Batman can do. And you do not have to 
count on these cutaway shots and weird angles and perspective camera shots. Those can be neat and those can be interesting and you can do some interesting cinematography with that. But I put Lewis Tan in there. He would be phenomenal. I just I want Lewis Tan in everything. He would actually be, I think, a better Nightwing than Batman. Just physically, I think he looks more the part. So put him in as Nightwing. Like, whatever they plan on doing with this Batman movie in 2021, just put Lewis Tan in there somewhere. He is great. But Ben Affleck is is out. Uh, another franchise. Man, this is a franchise-heavy episode. Uh, Avatar. You know those movies that James Cameron is going to be making for the next 50 years because for whatever reason he wants to? Uh, yeah, so Edie Falco was announced to be in this movie as General Ardmore, the commander in charge of the RDA's interests. Okay, pop quiz, dear listeners. For Avatar, one of the highest grossing movies of all time. Try and remember what RDA stood for. Try and recite a scene from Avatar. It blows my mind that this movie make, made a gajillion dollars, yet I have talked to so many people and I'm like, what was your favorite scene? What was your favorite interaction? Who was your favorite character? Tell me the overall storyline. And people are like, um, there were some blue cat people and they had this floating island planet. And that is it. Like, th- this is just such a conundrum in pop culture and in media to have a movie that made that much money that only came out a few years ago, realistically, that not many people actually remember or care about as much as James Cameron likes to think that we do. So, I just, uh, okay, I will see it, I guess. I do respect Cameron, I mean, for a couple different reasons, but one of which being when he was doing avatar and he was like okay i want this to look like this and people were like uh mr cameron that technology does not exist and he was like okay cool but i want it i think it would be really cool if we did this and this and they were like that it does not exist like we we cannot physically or digitally do that and he was like fine how much will it cost so then he started funding the creation of camera technology that type of mindset is awesome and I I super respect Cameron for that to be like I have a vision I have the money to create this vision I need somebody to help out with the actual technology side of things really cool so for that aspect I'm interested in what he chooses to do with these Avatar sequels apparently one of them is going to be taking place like 90% underwater okay sure I hope it looks better than some of what we saw in the crazy green screen and wigs and CGI hair in Aquaman, the latest movie that was all, a lot of it was underwater. So, interesting choices. But yeah, congratulations, Edie Falco, for being the general of this thing that nobody knows what it is. The RDA, nobody knows. That It, it makes no sense. Uh, and then, one of the last bits of news. So, the Avengers <laughs> Endgame... The movie that is coming out right around the corner, they said, the Russo brothers, uh, they're talking about the test screenings, which all these movies do several of, that it is currently at a three-hour runtime. And not only is it three hours, nobody in these test screenings got up to go to the bathroom, 
everybody just sat there. So <laughs> that means most likely, because they do these test screenings for a few different reasons, of course, to gauge the rating of it, PG to PG-13, PG-13 to R, so on and so on, but also the pacing of the film and a lot of other reasons. But a big indicator is if people get up and leave. Because even if like they're engaged, they're like, I can step out for like five minutes. It is fine. Nobody did that in these multiple test screenings. So I have a firm belief that this movie that we see in the theaters here coming out soon is going to be three hours. A lot of my fellow colleagues in the film critic circle um, are not, not a fan of these super long movies. Personally, if it is a compelling story, go to the bathroom beforehand, sit there, enjoy it, be immersed. This is coming from me, who I will watch the Lord of the Rings extended versions because they are that extra like 30 minutes, which pushes it over three hours. Give it to me. I love the stories. I love the characters, the way it is filmed, the score, everything. So as long as it is captivating enough and interesting enough, sure, if they have some more padding in this one, then it might get a little bit weird. But unlike their other films, this is kind of the capstone for this first 10 years of Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is not what some people were calling a two and a half hour trailer, which was Infinity War. This is the, the last movie. This is the final you know, step in this cycle of films. So yes, I'm sure the last 10 to 15 minutes, they're going to start layering those pieces for the next set of films. But for this one, if it is three hours, solid storytelling, engaging, entertaining, give it to us. So but that that is bold. That especially these days that you do a three-hour cut of a movie. So all right, that was the geek news uh, for this week. On to the movie reviews. Okay, so first off is Miss Bala. Now, this is the remake, uh, yeah, pretty much remake, of the Mexican film from 2011, also called Miss Bala, which was Mexico's choice for Oscar. Like, that was what they put up for their best foreign language film to represent the best in Mexican filmmaking for 2011. Those are some huge shoes to fill when you're doing a remake, you know, with an American director, Catherine Hardwick, and a Puerto Rican actress, uh, Gina Rodriguez. So the fact that they were doing this, especially like seven years later, interesting choice. But the synopsis for Miss Bala is basically uh, Gina Rodriguez plays Gloria, who is a kind of beautician, uh, makeup designer, hair designer who has goals and aspirations to move up in that field, in that line of work, who gets caught up in a in a war that or in it, yeah, in a drug war, there is illicit gambling and prostitution and drugs, and she gets pulled into this unsuspectingly because she is a witness to a crime. She then becomes an accomplice to multiple crimes. She is the victim. She, like, it goes through all of these emotions and all of these actions. And Gloria is kind of stumbling her way through this. The original one, the Mexican version in 2011, 
it definitely took a harder, much harder look at the drug trade in Mexico and how just deeply ingrained it is in certain parts of Mexico. It takes place in Baja, California, Mexico. Yes, that is a little bit confusing to a lot of Americans, but yes, Baja, California is a place in Mexico that is really close to the border. The politics of all of those small towns right along the border, you know, that, so the 2011 version, it went into more of that. In this version, once we kind of, once we're in motion, you know, once she has been essentially kidnapped, you know, and is brought into this, this world and has to kind of go along with it, it almost takes a bet, like the, the drug trafficking and everything takes a backseat to the interpersonal dynamics between Gina Rodriguez, the main character, and Lino, who is played by uh, Ishmael Cruz Cordova. He obviously is kind of the, the leader of this sect of gang members, you know, that she is a part of then. So it focuses almost more on this really uncomfortable budding relationship between the two of them where you have these weird moments where you're like, oh, Lino does actually maybe care for her in his own twisted way. And maybe she does actually care for her, care for him in her weird twisted way. But which one of them is playing the other? Which one of them is trying to get that angle and get that hook into the other person? That can be really interesting. That can be really well done this just felt sloppy. Like this just felt like it was not thrown together. I mean, that would be disrespectful to the director, Catherine Hardwick. Cause I do think it was well told in parts, but choosing to focus on like, yeah, the interpersonal relationships and how she is feeling and the way that she looks at him as opposed to her being steadfast in, I was kidnapped by Mexican gang leaders I have seen murder. I have seen drug trafficking. I have been a part of these things. I have been a witness to these things. I need to do everything I can to get out as opposed to, yeah, just like, well, I need to get out, but maybe he is not so bad. And it was like, no, he is. He is a bad person. <laughs> so that was just an interesting choice. The action in this, when we do get those action set pieces, because this is billed as kind of Gina Rodriguez's big action movie a lot of the marketing has been her you know holding an m16 or ak-47 that happens but when it happens and when we do get a line of hers where she does completely take control of her agency of who she is we get one line like we get one instance of of her truly owning her situation and being like this is what I am doing. This is where I have taken myself. This is my moment. It literally is a moment. And the rest of it, it just I feel like she just does not have agency. And I feel like she is not really driving the story forward and and making us believe that that this is a real thing. And I, and I get it. Like this is the movie. This is not a real thing. But there's just a grittiness in the original, and I keep going back to the original because it was only a few years ago, and it is a justifiable comparison with the original. It just, yeah, it it was not 
as gritty as it needed to be. It was not as it was also not as glossy. Like it was just it was a weird dichotomy, and I'm not quite sure whose fault that is necessarily. Uh, it was also weird because this is a PG-13 movie. If you are like, what audience is this for? Is this for young women uh, to go to and be like, yes, this is a movie where she is great and she goes through this stuff and then she ends up on maybe on top or she ends up having some agency. Is it for young, young women and young girls to see a role model? And that is why I made it PG-13. Cause if not, make it grittier make it like focus on some of the like the danger and the drama and the horrible things that happen in this real world drug trade that we see and make it r and then you're going for a different demographic where people i think you know i i don't necessarily need to see you know blood guts and violence but i just think that like they felt it felt like they were held back and i'm not sure why they went that pg-13 route so that was just kind of interesting. The rest of the supporting cast uh, is interesting. There definitely are characters that are just such archetypes where it, as soon as you see them on screen, you're just like, really? Th- this again? Sure. Okay. Uh, Anthony Mackie is in this because he apparently just likes to work. He is not content to be the Falcon in the Marvel movies, he was like, no, I'm going to take every other job. So he has been in like three movies recently as just a cameo style. And this one, he is more than a cameo, but not that much more. So he is good. I mean, the other part of the plot, of course, is the reason she gets caught up or kidnapped is because her, her friend that she grew up with in Mexico, you know, she, they were at the same club where this happened. And so they both get, you know, kind of tangled up in it. And she's trying to rescue her from this. That is kind of the crux of it is she not only wants to escape, she wants to find out where her friend is and go after her and rescue her. Again, the original version takes that in a different direction and a better direction. And maybe that is why they chose to make this one PG 13 and choose and chose not to go down that route. But who knows? So, yeah, I mean, the the action set pieces were okay when they happened, but they were nothing spectacular. Uh, There were people who, after the movie, were like, I was kind of hoping they would end up together. A.K.A. they were hoping that this crazy, psychotic, murderer, drug dealer ended up with Gina Rodriguez because they looked pretty together, which they do. Both of the actors involved in this, Gina Rodriguez and Ishmael Cruz Cordova, are both incredibly pretty people. And when they are standing next to each other, you're like, that is a very pretty couple. One of you is a psycho murderer. Yeah. So it was just bizarre. Definitely some bizarre choices in this. Uh, But my rating for Miss Bala, if this is your first time listening to the episode, maybe last week's episode of the Vancouver Short Film Festival was your first time listening, and I did not really do my rating system on that episode. There are three choices when it comes to ratings. There are no stars. There are no letter grades. The three choices are good, bad, or ugly. A good film was something that you would recommend to somebody that you enjoyed. A bad film was something that you sat there for the two hours, maybe two and a half hours. You left, and it was not something that you would be like, 
hey, friend, you need to see this. No, it was just kind of a movie. That would be bad. Ugly is avoid at all costs. Miss Bala, starring Gina Rodriguez. It gets a bad. Uh, it was not ugly. It was shot proficiently. It looked good for a lot of it. But it just it felt like clumsy storytelling, especially because it felt like they were holding themselves back from showing either the real violence or the real drug trafficking or the real sex trafficking that happens, you know, in this part of the world. And these are real things that are going on right now. But you made it PG-13, and so you just kind of glossed over it without really kind of showing us what the reality of this horrible situation is. The other thing this does, and I think this might be another reason why it was PG-13, in the most ham-fisted way at the end of this movie, it dares to set up a sequel. Why? Why Catherine Hardwick, the director, and why Gareth Dunnett El El Sucur? Elso El Kosher? No idea. You did the you did the screenplay. <laughs> Catherine directed it. Why? Like it is so ham-fisted and just we're not going to well, I say that. I doubt we're going to get a second one of these, but man, did they try and lay it on thick that here is the next step. And that next step is dumb. It is just a really just bad choice with the movie that we just saw. With the character that we just saw, that twist at the end makes no sense whatsoever. So that was just odd. So it gets a bad uh, for me. That was Miss Bala. Now, the next film, uh, a complete, completely different thing than drug trafficking and intense political uh, drama is the Lego Movie 2, the second part. Uh, this is directed by Mike Mitchell. And written by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, who, of course, Lord and Miller are known for, you know, a little movie that came out last year called Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which, you heard it here first, folks, is going to win the Oscar for Best Animated Feature. Come on. Like, it is, the only contest it will have is against Mirai. I think that is the only one that really stands a chance. Other than that, come on now, just give it to them. Uh, but yeah, so Phil Lord, Christopher Miller, and Matthew Fogel do the story. This stars basically everybody. Not basically. It does star everybody from the first Lego movie. I think the only difference was Harley Quinn. They had a different voice actress for that. But overall, like 99% of the cast returns. So you have Chris Pratt, Elizabeth Banks, uh, of course, as Emmett Brokowski and Wildstyle or Lucy. Will Arnett as Batman. Tiffany Haddish as the new character, Queen Whatever Wanby. Wanambi, really clever name. I like that. Uh, and yeah, Allison Brie, Nick Offerman as Metal Beard, Maya Rudolph, Will Ferrell. Like, so everybody kind of came back. The story itself. So this takes place. I mean, it, it is a direct sequel. And it has been five years since the events of the first Lego movie with, uh, what is it, President Business? Yeah, I think President Business that Will Ferrell plays in the first one. So things are just kind of normal. Things are still awesome for Emmett and his crew. Everything is awesome. They're just going about their daily lives until Duplo invaders from outer space land in, uh, is it Bricks Bricksville? Oh, not Bricksville. Oh, this is going to bother me. I have to look it up now. Bricksburg. They, Duplo invaders land in Bricksburg 
and start devouring everything and turning the world into chaos. It then becomes a post-apocalyptic wasteland very similar to Mad Max called Apocalypseburg, in which all of the characters have then become the gritty, dark versions of themselves, uh, wild style, would have these great moments where she is looking off into the distance, just forlorn and talking about depression and the darkness that succumbs to the world and all of these things. Whereas Emmett, like he tries to do that, but he is just unflappable in his optimism. And so he would look off in the distance and he'd be like, and then the world, blah, I can't do this. And he would just, you know, start laughing and it was just, it was really interesting. First off, I mean, one of the main things about this movie is the animation is incredible. I mean, this is a obviously super, you know, animated, cartoon animated, computer animated film versus kind of the more traditional, obviously, hand-drawn. But what they're able to do, like, it looks incredible. The voice acting is top-notch. And especially since not all of these people involved are professional voice actors, but they all just crush it. They all, like, everything felt organic. Everything felt, I mean, it sounds weird in an animated movie, but everything felt true to that character, as if it was just the actor portraying it. So that was really cool. I mean, yeah, so this this direct sequel, where we have these Duplo invaders, which is a, not an analogy, it is a metaphor, kind of, for his sister, for the, for the real young boy, uh, Finn, for his sister who is now getting older and wants to play with his Legos and take parts of the Legos to build her stuff on kind of her side of the, the toy room. So that is where you get this conflict of Bricksburg and the Duplo invaders. The Duplo invaders are super adorable and cute and they just want to be your friends. But then they proceed to eat all of your buildings, which of course means that the little sister is taking those pieces from her brother's playset and using them in her stuff. Hilarious. So really well done. Like this is, if you liked the first one and you like that style of humor where they're constantly mentioning current events and they're mixing in pop culture, this is exactly that same style and produce the same pacing as the original one. The things that they do differently in this I mean, are kind of few and far between, which to me, it is not necessarily that I'm looking for a drastic, you know, 180 degree twist from or 180 degree turn from the first one. But everything was just so similar. And I was like, OK, um, where where is kind of that new take? Where Where is that new direction that we we're going with this one? Still within the world, still within the same characters that we that we like. But yeah, just, it kind of felt more of the same. And even though it is really well done and well acted and well, well written, it was, it was still kind of just there. And that, that sounds weird. And it is not necessarily a negative thing. It was just something that, yeah, it, was, it sounds weird. This, I'm having a hard time describing this one, which is weird because I sometimes have a good way with words. But yeah, I mean, through this, of course, you get Batman... Uh, who is betrothed, in a sense, to to the Duplo queen, and they want to unite the kingdoms. So again, it takes a, takes a kid's movie with solid messaging of, 
we just need to be friends. We just need to come together, find a way to work together, and everything will be everything will be fine. Everything will be awesome. You know, and whether that is the Lego world itself, Bricksburg and the Duplo universe, or Finn and his sister Bianca in the real world, where Maya Rudolph and Will Ferrell are their parents, where it is just them getting along. So I get it. The messaging is there. The messaging is well done. It is not heavy handed like it can be in some of the animated films. And it is like, no, really, kids, this is the message. This was just it was pretty deft. It was handled with a deft touch, which was nice. Um, What were some of the other notes that I wrote down? Oh, the soundtrack. Oh, my gosh. This soundtrack is amazing. So that was something where, I mean, again, in the last Lego movie, which I say last, but there are actually, this is the fourth in the franchise because it was the Lego movie, the Lego Batman movie, and then the Lego Ninjago movie, which I did not see. I saw the other two. Um, The soundtrack is just amazing. And that is something that they have kept consistent in all of these. I cannot speak to the Ninjago movie because I did not see it. Uh, But yeah, like just really great. There is a song called Catchy Song, where the whole song, a lot of the song is, the song is going to get stuck in your head. And it did for like three days after I saw this movie. This song is going to get stuck inside you This for days. So, but the name is Catchy Song. They wrote it to be a catchy song. The lyrics are, it's going to get stuck in your head. Come on. Like they know exactly what they're doing. So that was just, that was really clever. This is a movie also where stay through the credits, not because there is a big twist, not because there is a post-credit scene. This is the most well-done post-credit scene as far as the song that is playing, which is called Super Cool, or one of the songs. There are like three that play during the credits, but Super Cool is one of them. And it does this really amazing post-credit scene where you have the Legos kind of rotating up to scenery and characters along with the actors' names. Just really well done. And the song is just great. The song is is fun and catchy. And it talks about the credits and it talks about the people involved in the credits. Really well done. Like you can tell that this is a passion project that Lord and Miller, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, they just love being a part of this. So, I mean, especially because they, they have some major chops behind them. I mean, they did 21 and 22 Jump Street, which are like the rated R comedies. But then doing Spider-Verse, doing this, they wrote the first Lego movie. Like, to be able to ride two different paths like that, where you can do the raunchy rated R stuff that is very successful, and on the opposite, do, like, the kids' movies that are very successful, that takes a special talent. So definitely huge kudos to to Lord and Miller. Uh, All of the voice cast is really good. I mean, there's not really much that I can say. Chris Pratt does play two different characters, one of the characters is just an amalgamation of so many of his characters. I mean, there's like some Star-Lord stuff, Owen from Jurassic World, his Parks and Rec stuff. I mean, it just, yeah. Uh, they, they pull from it all. And I love that the pop culture references. So when we do see the Justice League, there are, of course, references to the Justice League movie that we saw. And you would see uh, Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, pop up in there. And Jonah Hill did the voice of him, which for an animated version was perfect. Because he was like, hey, guys, um, I- I'm still here, remember? And they're like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, hey, GL. Uh, yeah, just yeah, just come on in. And they all kind of look at each other awkwardly because they do not know what to do with him. That was solid. 
And so, yeah, I, I think this is a movie that the kids are going to love. Like, m- younger members of the family are going to just have a blast with. It is bright. It is colorful. The music is great. But also has enough for the older crowd for when you see it. There, there's enough for you to grab onto, enough pop culture references to sate you. And the storyline is still solid. I think I just wanted something a little bit more because this is pretty much beat for beat for the first one. So switch out the antagonists and, you know, it is it is very similar. But at least it is solid. Both of these are solid films. So it is not like something where something did not work and they did the same thing. And you're like, come on now. Why would you do that? This, the first one worked. Lego Batman worked. This works. So as long as they keep working, they're probably going to keep making these. Uh, So yeah, my official rating for the Lego Movie 2, the second part, is a good. This is just, it is a fun, solid film that I think the whole family, I mean, it sounds cliche, the whole family will enjoy it. But I truly think they will. This is just a solid movie. So, all right, so a quick recap of the two movies. So Miss Bala, uh, I gave a bad two. Interesting story, but honestly, just go watch the 2011 version for Mexico, and and you can kind of skip this one if, if you want to. Unless you're a huge Gina Rodriguez stan, then check it out. She is decent in it. I just wish she had more agency and more to do. Uh, and then the Lego movie, too, the second part, also got a good. On next week's episode, uh, I will be reviewing Alita Battle Angel, which opens next week. Uh, and then Netflix has a new docu-series called Remastered, which has been really interesting. So they have one called The Two Killings of Sam Cook that I will be reviewing, as well as Who Killed Jam Master Jay. And yeah, there might be another review on that one. Apparently, we were supposed to get like some crazy snowstorm uh, in the next couple days. So it might be another solo episode because I do not want to endanger anyone's lives to have them come to the studio and record. So that will be interesting. But yeah, there will be a few movies on that episode as well. Like I said at the top of the show, make sure to follow along on social media at About Treeview, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, youtube.com slash abouttreeview. On abouttreeview.com, you can find full links to the show notes and guests, and you can support the show by clicking the support tab, which is on the website and also in the show notes below. If you want to... Not if you want to. You should rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. It is listed on all of them. So definitely get a, give it a subscribe. Give it five stars. That would be fantastic. So for this episode of the About Review podcast, I have been your host, that guy named John, and we will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.